Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on, <laughs> to the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys, and we actually have a special guest host this week. So I'm still Scott Powell. And, and I am not Father Peter Musset. Not even close, but you are still kind of lanky. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little I bit. guess so. So with me is Father Brady Wagner, yes, who is yes. the parochial vicar here at St. Thomas Aquinas. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you. This is I'm, my very first podcast ever. Ever? You yeah. were never on Catholic Stuff You Should Know? No. Ever? No, they talked about me, I'm sure. About we talked about you a lot, which is sort of why I'm intimidated, because we talk about your holiness a lot. Oh, yikes. So no, I'm afraid all you're the... going to say something to make me look like a jerk. No way. I'll just prove you guys wrong. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. So Father Brady or Father Peter rather is on retreat this week, so we keep him in our prayers. It's actually the day as we're recording this, it's the day before Halloween. Yeah. Which is pretty intense. Hall Hallows Eve. Did you say Halla Hallows Eve? <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you said. No. Thought you Though did. that's what I thought in my heart. Is it? Yeah. Good. Hey, so I had a question that I decided to save for on air. Okay. <laughs> my daughter, who's six, yes. was asking me about Halloween. And we were talking about a little bit of why they're scary costumes and the idea that we're not afraid of death and we're not afraid of these things. So because of Christ, we have freedom from this and we can almost mock them kind of. Absolutely. But she said, okay, well, why do we give out candy? And I just stared at her blankly. Cause I had no <laughs> idea. Do you have any idea? Um, and I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think, uh, or is that I, I even a Christian tradition? Well, I think something? I remember something of, uh, uh of just kind of like, a uh, when people would, uh, I don't know. I, I think I may have read somewhere that, that people would go around and ask for prayer intentions for the dead, uh, oh. for masses to be offered. And as they would go around, that people would actually give them a token of uh, donation in like some sort of Snickers form, baked good or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure this is. Wow. I, I, that's uh, wow. I, I kind of feel like I'm making that up, but I like it. Yeah, I. That's great. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere sometime. Yeah, I literally had no idea. Yeah. So I might ask you. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, well, you, you know, I don't mind it because <laughs> no, I we don't probably mind. have one of the biggest sweet tooths on this side of the Mississippi. I'll bring in a lot. We have this thing in our household called the, uh, oh, what is it called? We call it the Halloween fairy, Ooh. which sounds pretty pagan. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. So our kids get tons of candy from trick-or-treating. And, I mean, if they have the amount of candy that they actually receive, at least at this age, they'll, they'll flip out. Oh, yeah. So we have this thing that they, they can set aside. I don't know what it is. It's like five or ten pieces of candy that's theirs. Mm -hmm. And then the rest, they donate to the students at St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh, very nice. And in exchange, they get a little gift. They get a little toy or something. Oh, there you go. Which is a brilliant idea, yeah. I think. Oh, totally. So that's how we get around all the candy. Yeah. So you'll be having them lots of candy from the Powell House on Monday. Hey, don't mind if it. I do. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> <laughs> so this is exciting. So it is. So this Sunday we are celebrating um, what the solemnity of all souls, right? That's right. Yes, it's it's. Um, oh, it's kind of a surprise it. because we normally have <laughs> just the surprise. what would it be the thirty first Sunday in ordinary time. Is that right? Is that when you, all souls usually is? No, no, no. Wait. All souls. Oh, is oh always normally November this would be 2nd. the thirty. Yeah. yeah. Is it? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. I learn a lot about the liturgy from this podcast <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> You know, I wish mm -hmm. I learned more in seminary, actually, about liturgy. <laughs> Still growing into it. Growing in. Yeah. All right. Well, regardless, so this is, where are we? Yeah, the Feast of All Souls, so November 2nd. So usually, Father Brady, we just list through the readings really quick in okay, case people good. are following along yeah. and they want to turn to their Bible. So the first reading comes from the Book of Wisdom, from chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Mm-hmm. If you want to tell them what the psalm the is. The psalm, the responsory psalm is from Psalm 23, uh, the psalm of the Good Shepherd. Mm. 
uh, verses 1 through 3a, 3b through 4, and 5 and 6. And the, uh, what if uh, Father Peter pointed out to me recently, the responsorial is called the versicle. The versicle, I <laughs> is okay. Is that right? I, no, maybe I'm the sure. versicle is something else. Yeah, well, I the don't know. The responsorical. Yeah. <laughs> the antiphon. The antiphon. Well, yeah. the response itself comes from verse 1 of that psalm, so... Yes. Okay. Good. Then the reading, the second reading, there's a couple different options. We've chosen Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. And then for the gospel, John chapter 6, 37 through 40. Indeed. Yes. All right. So I, one of the goals that we try to do on this podcast, and we do it just, we kind of work it out as we go, is trying to find what is the common thread okay. that goes through these readings. And I think there's Ooh. one that's that's obvious. I mean, there's, well, there's a couple things, but this is one of those weeks where I'm reading through. And I'm like, okay, I, I see a theme of dead, you know, of death <laughs> okay. and hope, right? That's yeah. there. Yeah. But I feel like there's got to be more to it, uh, and maybe mm. I'm wrong. And you know, and and that in and of itself, Christ saving us from death, of course, is is profound. Right. But I still, it's one of those weeks where I I've read them and I just feel like there's something I'm not seeing yet. So, who knows? We'll see. Well, good. Let's dig into it and see what might pop out. Great. So the first reading comes from the Book of Wisdom, which is wisdom is interesting because this is um what's sometimes called one of the deuterocanonical or the apocryphal books. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those books that Catholic Bibles have and Protestant Bibles don't. Mm. Um, the whole history of the, the deuterocanonical books is kind of a strange one. Do you know much about this tradition? Or uh, this, this history? It's not, I don't want to call it a tradition. I mean, I, a little bit. I mean, just with the, the Septuagint and its translation and yeah. um, having that as, the, uh, as really kind of the biblical text that the first century Jews used. Uh, yeah. But then uh, how it kind of... Um, Ended up during the Protestant Reformation and other things. There was a lot of complex. It was issues, messy. But yeah, but uh, but because they couldn't find any of those texts in in the original Hebrew, they just assumed that these weren't actually canonical scriptures. Right. Well, here's here's my limited understanding know. on this. And I, so as far as why, okay, so if that's all true, how come they didn't? How come they're in Catholic Bibles and not in Protestant Bibles? As I understand it, so. In the first centuries, well, the first centuries, both B.C. and then A.D., mm -hmm. the Jewish canon, so the Jewish people were a little, um, well, what do I say? Um, there, there, was, there was a lack of clarity on what compromised the canon, right? What books are biblical? So there were certain sects mm -hmm. of Jews that believed certain books were in. Some said, no, those aren't in. And so mm -hmm. it, was, it was varied. There was no, you couldn't go in Jesus' time and say, okay, what are definitively the books the Jewish people uh, right. see as scripture? Well, because, I mean, you have the Sadducees who only believe just in exactly, the Exactly, just the Torah. Torah yeah. And then some communities didn't read the Song of Songs. So it was, it was sort of, mm. it was messy. And it really wasn't until about the 300s, I believe, that the Jewish people finally said, okay, this is the definitive canon. Oh, okay. And part of that was in response to Christianity. Okay. And because the Christians then, you know, they were taking as scriptural, you know, these Old Testament books. And there was a little bit of a conflict there and there was some politics going on. And so the Jewish leaders decided, okay, well, we need a definitive text, canon as well so that we can sort of distinguish ourselves from this new group. And it was sort of weird. So one of the criteria, like you said, was that... and. and this wasn't the idea that, okay, well, let me say this. One of the criteria that the Jewish rabbis used was, like you said, there had to have been a Hebrew original of it. So mm -hmm. the, the, the Jewish language was the language Hebrew. So if there wasn't a Hebrew version, then we were not going to include it in the canon. Now, that wasn't to say that all the other books they considered, you know, BS or something. I mean, they, were, sure. there was, yeah, yeah. they were legitimate. They just weren't going to include them in the canon. So, for example, the book of First and Second Maccabees, was written during the time when uh, 
the Jewish people were speaking exclusively Greek. And yeah. so this was a book written in Greek. There was no Hebrew original because they wrote it in Greek. Right. It's ironic because Maccabees is the only book that talks about the story of Hanukkah. Yet oh, the story yeah. of Hanukkah is not included in any Hebrew Bible or any Hebrew yeah. scripture. So again, they're not saying this stuff isn't true. Mm-hmm. They're simply saying, okay, for the sake of a canon, yeah. this is what we're going to use. Now, we know that in Jesus's time, they were reading Maccabees. They were reading books like Sirach. Jesus seems to quote wisdom. You know, this is around. Jesus seems to know them. They're being quoted by Paul and the other New Testament writers. So later on, when Martin Luther was translating the first German um, translation of the Bible, the mm-hmm. Wittenberg Bible, one of the things he did, because he was, you know, there was strife going on between him and the Catholics. So he said, okay, I'm going to go back to the source. So there was a lot of things going on here. But basically he said, okay, my canon, what I'm deciding is legitimate. I don't trust the Catholics and I don't mm-hmm. trust that tradition as much. So I'm going to go back and find out what the, what did the rabbis believe? What did the Jewish canon consist of? And I don't know if he was ignorant to it or just didn't know about it or purposely avoided it. But the reality was the canon that he was leaning on was a canon that was developed in response and sometimes in contradiction to the Christian canon. And so he kind of went to the wrong source. And the Jewish canon that wasn't developed until 300 years after Christ. And again, we don't have Google, so we couldn't just do a quick search. Okay, when was the canon developed? You know, so I don't know if this was just ignorance on his part or or something else. Mm -hmm. But in a nutshell, that's why. So that's why Protestant Bibles don't have the books that we have. Mm. The Catholic Bible, we believe, goes back to the scriptures that Jesus was using, Mm -hmm. mainly the Septuagint, which Mm -hmm. was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which mm-hmm. includes things like Maccabees and Sirach and Wisdom and all these other things. Yeah, yeah. That's and, I think, that's, and I think the reason why it's called Deuterocanonical is because at Trent, you know, in response to Luther, it, it was kind of like uh, a reaffirmation of the original canon. Or and that's why they call it as a part of the second canon. No, and oh, see no. now I'm digging out of my memory banks. It's, so what the understanding was is that there was the proto canon, okay, which means the first canon, and that was sort of what we think as is the traditional Old Testament, so, you know, the Torah, the, the historical books, Joshua, Judges, all these things, and then the wisdom literature, the Psalms, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That was, and I believe, oh yeah, let me correct my, I'm gonna correct what I said before. That was the Septuagint. Right. Were those books. Now, when the Septuagint was being translated up in probably Alexandria in Egypt around Mm -hmm. what, 200 B.C., 250 B.C., um, the story of Maccabees hadn't happened yet. Yeah. And so it's after. So they developed the the proto canon. So the Hebrew, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that everyone had been learning. But God wasn't done with salvation history yet. Mm -hmm. So then the story of Maccabees happened later. Then the wisdom of Sirach came around. Then this book of wisdom that was written probably around the time that the Septuagint was compiled. Mm -hmm. The idea was God wasn't quite done writing the Old Testament, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. And so these books came second. So we call them the Deuterocanon, not because they're secondary Mm -hmm. or they're less than, but they literally just in chronology, they came next. Oh, okay. So, I mean, in a certain sense, you could call the New Testament the Trito canon yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah. We don't. But, yeah, it's not that they're secondary or second-class books or anything. They just happen second. Hmm. So that's where we get that term. It's become—so it's a legitimate term that's been kind of developed as a as a derogatory term toward these books, right? Oh, yeah. the deuterocanonical books. Right, they're right, not right. as good. They're not as important. Oh, totally. Well, that's not the idea. Yeah. And part of the other thing—so the reason this is all really important for us is if you read our reading from Wisdom, one of the other things that Martin Luther did, it wasn't just, okay— Let's look back and whatever books they were reading, we're going to read. But he also found a lot of the themes that he did not agree with in these books in the Old Testament. Right. So, you know, in Maccabees, 
um, for example. There's lots of, of examples of uh, a pious death actually having um, salvific qualities, right? Someone's suffering mm. can actually, someone's suffering can be applied to the salvation of someone else, mm. right? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And, and even Any, in, like, uh, and also praying for the dead. I'm not sure. I'm yeah, sure, exactly. You know, and praying like for the dead. The, totally. The treasury of merits and stuff like that in, um, Tobit. Yeah. Know, I'm yeah. Sure, Tobit. Like, absolutely. Of that. And you get, you get kind of a sense of that here too. And you yeah. get a sense of why certain Jewish populations wouldn't like this because it talks about the afterlife very definitively. Mm-hmm. It talks about these souls and what their suffering is actually produced. And now their sacrificial offerings that God has brought to himself and all mm. these things. Yeah. You don't hear the afterlife talked about much. In the Hebrew Bibles, it's yeah. just not mentioned, which is why by Jesus' time there was there was uh, some disagreements over mm. what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Maccabees is so crystal clear that yeah. look, there is there is an afterlife. Your suffering here is salvific. It actually does affect what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. in the next world. And these souls, and see, this is why the other these souls are not merely dead. They're not disconnected from us. They're alive and they're connected to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the themes that Martin Luther was uncomfortable with. Yeah. This idea that the souls of the departed are connected. They're real. This is a real, this is a real thing. Yeah. And the sharing of goods between, um, yeah, no, that's a great lesson, especially getting ready to prepare for, uh, you know, tomorrow is not just Halloween, but right. Reformation day. Oh, tomorrow is Reformation <laughs> yeah. Day, isn't well, it? Well, because we were talking about uh, being able to do the, oh, the, you know, like ecumenical dialogue of the Lutherans versus Catholics. I thought it was capture an ecumenical flag. flag football. Oh, capture the flag. <laughs> capture the flag. Yeah. No, I just talked with Rabbi Wilhelm, too, this morning about our Jews versus Catholics basketball game. Which is so cool. Yeah. Getting ready for that. Did we lose last year or did we win? We did lose. Mm. Yeah. It was... Schooled by the... Yeah. By the it Hebrews. was a shame. <laughs> that is a shame. Oh, boy. No hot dogs for us. I don't know that. Oh, they're kosher. Don't I was worry. doing a study on the transfiguration this morning with the focus team. And I said something like, you know, well, why did, why did Peter, Paul and James want to build booths up there? And I think it was Calvin. He's like, so they could sell corn dogs. And I was just thinking of the irony. Peter, Paul and James. Or <laughs> James, James, Peter, James, Peter, James, James and, and John. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's, there was a lot messed up in that. There's a lot. Sorry about that. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean. Dogs, wh- yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's no corn. Dogs are not kosher. It's a mess. Nice. But yeah, it's so the theme of the first reading, it, it is a really beautiful reading. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea of the souls, the souls of the just are in the hands of God. And no torment will touch them. It, it is really beautiful. They're mm-hmm. at peace. They're, they're, they're sacrificial offerings. There's lots of echoes. Um, even to other, other books in the new Testament, there's lots of echoes, I think to, to the book of Daniel in here. Mm. Um, in the idea of, of the righteous, actually, there's this weird line that actually bugged me the first time I read it. You see, it's toward, toward the tail end. It talks about the, um, these souls shall judge nations and rule over peoples. Mm. Did you catch that? Yeah. I didn't quite know what to do with that at yeah. first. What does it mean that the souls are going to judge nations and rule over peoples? Any thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously this this whole reading is such a beautiful reading. Uh, trying to make sense out of death, this yeah. most... Uh, the darkest mystery that we mm. we have a difficult time trying to understand, but I think that it it, it simply is um, that they shall judge nations and rule over peoples, not in a way of uh, domineering or anything like that. But and I think this is really going to come to the fore later. But just the mystery of God's judgment itself mm. is is simply the presence of who He is. 
yeah. in, in the light of who he is, that he reveals everything in, in that, that was in darkness, you know, mm. and that the, oh, the light shines in the darkness and, and everything then comes to the fore. And then that these who are just, they actually shall judge nations precisely because their light shines before others. Oh, that's cool. And they see the, the work of God and how there might be some who actually did not respond to the gracious gift of God's generous mercy. Hmm. Um, and so being able to say, like, uh, I, I don't know, just this play, uh, that play of image of, of light and darkness. And, yeah. And, you know, I, for me, coming to the point so much so that, that to dare to say, like, Lord, hey, I don't know, us as Catholics, it's kind of drilled into us, like, to be scared of our final judgment right, and all right, that kind right, of stuff. Right. And it's like, well, there, there comes a point of, like, no, Lord, I actually desire for you to judge me because I know your judgment is just. Yeah. And your judgment is so... Um, so beautiful that it just brings things to light. And it's precisely as, as like a doctor might like uh, draw things out uh, to, to be able to, uh, to heal. I mean, it's like exposing the wounds for the sake of healing. Oh, and, that's and so, good. I, like uh, I, I mean, in my mind, th- that is more kind of like uh, the understanding of judgment that God has. Oh, um, nice. And so even daring to make the, make the prayer, like, Lord, judge me. Because I know that only in the light of your judgment can I actually even ex- uh, expose the sinfulness of my heart to even know what's there to commend to you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Wow, that's really beautiful. That's cool. Yeah, cool. but the, you know, it's obviously um, still kind of a, a puzzling thing of what it means to actually judge. It's mysterious and rule over peoples. It's mysterious. I'm I'm flipping to there's a there's a reference. Jesus does actually say something like this in the New Testament. Um, he talks about um, yeah, it's in it's in Matthew nineteen verse twenty eight. Jesus said to them, "Truly I say to you, in the new world, in the new age, when the Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." Mm, yeah, so talking yeah. about the apostles being, so right. you almost see a foreshadowing of mm-hmm. this authority that Jesus is going to give, yeah, to to those who follow him, yeah, and I think part it, of his kingdom, yeah, and I think again he reiterates reiterates that at his last supper, yeah, totally, yeah. So one of the themes I I want to find in these readings is death and eating. So yeah. I like that you brought up that yeah. idea that it is sort of mm-hmm. reiterated in the last mm-hmm. supper. So this this and there's there's echoes of it back here in mm-hmm. uh, in wisdom. You know, it's often said that wisdom. Um, has a huge Exodus motif, and actually the whole book sort of echoes the story of the Exodus, which mm. is impossible to see without right. the idea of the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so anyway, some some thoughts. We'll, we can put that aside for now. So the Responsorial Psalm, Psalm 23, like you, the, the Good Shepherd Psalm, I think I've, I've heard it said that if if this is the most well-known and the most quoted of, of the entire Psalter. Yeah. And it's one of those things, if you know no other psalm, you probably know, uh, this, know this one, one. Right? Yeah, totally. And it actually, it's, it's fascinating because last night I, I got a chance to go and, and pray with uh, a couple hundred um, college students who was just it lost. That many? Yeah, wow. it was just on the front lawn of of one of the fraternities here at the university, and you know they just lost a friend uh, who died, and and uh, I was thinking like, Lord, what can I lead them in? And I, I actually chose this psalm and then Did prayed you? the Our Father together because I figured not only the richness of the psalm in itself yeah. about the nature of death and and just the the grace that that God Himself walks with us through the dark valley or the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, uh, that He is right there with us. You know, yeah. He is the one who's actually entered into the grave, and that we need not be afraid of, about that. Um, 
and also too just like realizing that this this is probably the only song that most of them know or have oh, ever well, heard. Well, right, right. So yeah, have you? I don't know if you've heard this. This this we read this psalm at mass a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? I feel like Psalm twenty three just not too long ago. I don't know. Was yeah. in the liturgy because yeah. I was looking through this and uh, I saw this. I got this from a commentary. But if you go through. You can actually, and the fathers of the church had a, had a field day with this, but you can actually find reference to the sacraments embedded in all of this. So even oh yeah, if you have you seen yeah. this? Well, I've yeah, just with the references to water and the oil. Waters and, he and, leads me. He sets cup. a table before yes. me. The cup, the oil overflows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so the fathers are like, oh my gosh, this is all the sacraments. The sacraments of the initiation of initiation yeah. showing yeah. up here. So they're all in there, which again, um, pointing to this table. So so why is it for us? So I mean, again. God has been working throughout all of salvation history, but for those of us who are standing in the new covenant and we're standing in the shadow of what Jesus has done, how is it that we can have the confidence to say we fear no evil for God is with us? Even if we walk in the shadow of death, how can we have that confidence? Well, it's only because he gave himself to us in the Eucharist, his broken body on the cross Mm -hmm. that we now share in. And if we understand that, we understand why there's no reason for fear because Mm -hmm. evil can't actually touch us anymore. There was a, <laughs> I was, oh man, it's a priest that you and I'm sure both know. It's a, um, I was at a funeral that he said for someone, it was a number of years ago, but it was, it was a younger guy who had died. It was a really unfortunate accident. This person had died and the funeral ended up being during Holy Week, which is rare for the church oh, wow, to do yeah. that. Um, and it was this, this priest who's, uh, you know, he's a little bit wild, um, <laughs> but he gave this homily. It was like on, on holy thursday or or wednesday of holy week and he basically said you know it's significant that we're celebrating this funeral for this person in the shadow of of holy week you know in the shadow of the crucifixion because and he said it very piously he's like what jesus did on the cross was peacefully subtly flipping the bird at death (laughs) i was like whoa whoa oh death where is your sting right what like it's just jesus flipping off death. wow (laughs) which is an intense image yeah but on a certain <laughs> level, you're like, yeah, you can't, you can't hurt me anymore. Yeah. You can't touch mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. what's the last thing that everyone fears? It's it's death. Right. But yeah. we've shared this meal, mm-hmm. and therefore this death cannot actually touch us. Yeah. And then, you know, it's interesting too, even just reflecting on the the mystery of the Eucharist and the participation in the Paschal mystery. Yeah. Um, is it viaticum? You know, this food for the journey. This, yeah. This last moment last to be rites. able to, yeah. Uh, yeah, to to be able to receive the Eucharist as food for the for the journey for, for this last entrance into the grave, but unto the resurrection. Yeah, yeah, but unto the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, and I, you know, just like knowing that the Lord is constantly at our side, and and you know, just realizing that, wow, God has entered into the grave. And there is no place now where God is not. Right. Um, like right. we don't even need to be afraid of, of, of death. Right. Because God is with us even there. Truly, Emmanuel. And so, what is what is the only power that the and this kind of is a segue into Romans because I think Paul, one of his major statements is that well the reality is. I mean, one of Paul's criticisms oftentimes to his churches that he writes to is that you're you're a people of the resurrection, but you're acting like a people who don't know about the resurrection, mm. right? We're, we're in the already, but not yet, right? Mm-hmm, We've mm-hmm. already experienced this. It doesn't yet look like it, though, mm-hmm, or feel like mm-hmm. it. Um, oh, where was I going with that? I had a really brilliant point with that. Yeah. I was ready. <laughs> I was really excited. You had me on the edge of my seat. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. but I think the, the bottom line is what he's trying to make the argument of. 
what power does the evil one have now? Mm-hmm. It's not that he has none, but the only power really he has is to lie to us. Mm. That's really all he can do and convince us that, no, what you see out there, the evil, the death, the sin, that is still in control. Mm. He can convince us of what is not reality actually being reality Mm. because reality is something other than what we experience. We still feel pain. We still fear death. We still see chaos, even though death has been defeated, evil has been conquered and sin has been vanquished. We still Mm -hmm. are living in in the consequences. So what power does Satan have is to lie to us and say that still reigns. Right. And that's what, uh, yeah. I mean, I think, that's and then, and that we're that we're forsaken, we're yeah. lost and alone and right. abandoned, right? In that experience, which right. is horrifying, which is horrifying, yeah. But to know that, you no, know, actually, Jesus has walked this path, right? And and to even go back to to um, you know the 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 psalm is that He is our good Shepherd who actually goes before us even in the way of death, and so like we can actually follow Him, yeah, even in death. With confidence, Absolutely. knowing that that he's actually uh, guarding us and protecting us, and with his crook and his staff right there, you know, the crook and the staff. Um, just the last thing I wanted to note. Um, something called the rod and the, the rod staff. and the staff. Yeah, but that's interesting though. I was thinking about that imagery. Okay, what, what the two things that the shepherd has? What is the rod for? What is the rod used for? Because um, I mean, uh, pause for a second. I mean, I don't you, know. <laughs> you think of a shepherd, though. Yes. We think of Jesus as the shepherd. You know, we've got childhood pictures. You know, I've got a picture up on Google of yeah, yeah. Jesus with the little lambs, and, and <laughs> it's beautiful. Right. But, and that's good, and that's true. But what yeah. are the two tools? The rod. What do you rod. use a rod for? Elsewhere uh, in Scripture, where do you see the term rod show up? Um, is it the same as a scepter or no? No, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. What's well, it's similar though. I don't so it's know. It's not I the kingly think, authority of a scepter. Is it like a, a, a tool for chastisement or punishment, or is it a tool to like defense? Oh, is it defense? Okay, but it is a weapon, weapon. and that's the bottom right. line. I mean, you can use it for, for different things, but what is the shepherd's tool? It's a weapon. Okay, because if somebody gets near the flock, he might have to go to work. He might have to kill an animal oh, yeah. or fend off a, a thief or something uh-huh. and kill him if he has to. I mean, shepherds were pretty hardcore. Yeah, hardcore dudes. Right? I remember David. Uh, <laughs> Right. Where Did he's you? just like, no, David, when he's about ready to take on Goliath. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, he's he struggling makes his case with to Saul. Yeah. And he's struggling because, like, Saul, I can't fit in his armor. This is ridiculous. Right. He's right. like, in, in making his case, he's like, I've been a shepherd. I've killed bears and lions with my bare hands. <laughs> with you my know? bare hands. I'm the real deal here. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's the image of shepherd that we have yeah. to have. It's not just the peaceful, you know, I'm just going to oh, right. kind of hurt everybody along. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that. The kind of a shepherd is the kind of person who, if you mess with his flock, he's going to mess you up. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the image that's that's meant to be evoked. Mm. Not simply peaceful, loving Jesus, mm-hmm. but the Jesus who we can actually be confident in, because he's not going to let anything get to us, and he's got weapons at the ready in case anyone does. Yeah. I mean, what's his weapon of choice? It's actually the cross. Yeah. And he takes that weapon, defeats death once and for all. But but mm-hmm. just the imagery. So the, the the rod and the staff and the staff then being used to, to gather us back in. Yeah. What does he want to do? He wants to fight our enemies and he wants to gather us together. Mm-hmm. And he'll do whatever he has to do. But I just, I was thinking about that imagery. Totally. And it's just, it's just different so than rich. what I thought it was. Yeah. You know? That's right. And to have that kind of confidence that the Lord is, yeah. is in the fight. Yeah. And he is for us. Totally. Always. Yeah. Mm. Which leads us into Paul's reading from Romans. I'm a little, <laughs> it begins by saying, hope does not disappoint. I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I agree. It didn't start a little bit earlier. Yeah. And again, I'm not claiming to have the wisdom of the church. I, I don't know. True. 
But a couple lines earlier, we just have to read this. So yeah. the way that Paul starts Romans 5, he says, okay, we've, we've been justified by faith. And so we have Christ, I'm sorry, we have peace um, with God through Christ our Lord. So Christ has, has bridged the gap between humans and God, right? Mm -hmm. That's the idea. That's what he's done. And so through whom we've gained this access and we can rejoice in that. Now it's in verse three that things get interesting. He says, more than that, we can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And that's when we step into today's reading and hope does not disappoint us. But how do you get to hope? For Paul, it's only through suffering, suffering. and endurance yeah. and yeah. character building. And that leads to hope. Right. And I'm, I'm, you know, maybe the church presumes that we'll, we'll gather the context of this, but I mean, this hope that doesn't disappoint us mm -hmm. Why does Paul need to point that out? It's because suffering looks like it's going to disappoint us. Suffering mm -hmm. looks like it's going to steal our hope. Yeah. But suffering united with Christ is the only sure way to hope. Right. It's you know the the road yeah, the road to hope, the road to glory is is really, you know, cruciform. Yeah. It's suffering. It is, and that's why we can have this confidence that yeah, we need not be afraid of death. Mm -hmm. It's going to come. There is going to be suffering, right? This is just the reality. Mm -hmm. But if we actually believe this is true, then that actually puts the first reading in more context. If you endure the suffering that's going to come, then guess what? There's going to come a time when the souls, your soul is in the hands of God and no torment will touch you, mm -hmm. right? And, and uh, yeah, they seemed in the view of the foolish to be dead, and their passing away was thought of as an affliction. They're going forth from us in utter destruction, but they are in peace. Mm -hmm. You get, I get the idea that wisdom three is actually a uh, kind of a, a precursor response to mm -hmm. Romans five. Mm -hmm. How can that be? Well, yeah, they the foolish. They looked like they were dead. They looked like they were just afflicted. It looked like it was just this arbitrary, utter destruction. But now they are in peace, and peace, shalom. It's the first principle that Paul begins Romans 5 with. Now we have that shalom through Christ. Even mm, if you're not dead yeah. yet, if you're united with Christ, you've actually already achieved what Roman, what, what wisdom was pointing you to, mm -hmm. which is just cool, I oh, think. Oh, absolutely. And then he goes on, you know, this whole thing uh, about... You know, it's it's hard for for a good per for for a person to die for a just person. You know, to give your life for a just cause, much less a person giving their lives for you know a bunch of suckers like us, right? <laughs> a bunch of chumps. Hey, speak for yourself. Yeah, but, I am. no, I'm just kidding. I am. Well, me and Father Peter. <laughs> but yeah, but while we're still sinners, Christ died totally. for us, and so how much more now yeah. will we be saved mm -hmm. through Him with the from the yeah. Head? And uh, and to be able to have that as the the fundamental fact of our life is that yeah. God has proven His love for us, and that there's no way that I could ever doubt that now. Yeah. Um, that even though I did not deserve it, yeah, God has done this for me. And yeah. you know, like uh, the way that Saint Ignatius he talks about, he simply says, "What is the origin and cause of all evil and sin?" I mean, we can think of a lot of things, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what would you say? The origin and cause, cause of, of all, all evil, sin. all evil and sin. I want to say pride. Pride, okay, but uh, yeah, no, that's not the. Answer. You know what? He, you know what he says? <laughs> no, he says ingratitude. Really? Yeah, ingratitude. And you know, he's consistently always oh, like good. trying to draw us back to consider how it is that the Lord looks upon you. Wow. And then when we live in in the sight of how what God has done and how He's proven to us His love, and how He looks upon us as a father to a son and daughter. Wow. Um, that that just evokes our hearts or just uh, stirs them to gratitude. And we live fundamentally then out of the, uh, a cup of fullness that overflows, as Psalm 23 says. You know, that, that this cup overflows. 
I mean, you can that that blows my mind a little because there's so many ways you could take that. I mean, you, there's so many logical extensions of that. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't even believe that there's anything to be grateful for on some level. I, I was, I was uh, a part of a conversation with. Um, it was a couple of Catholics and a couple of Orthodox people, and um, the discussion was something like, you know, the Orthodox was asking this Catholic, a well-known Catholic, you know, do you have do you have confidence in your salvation? Hmm. And he said something like, well, you know, I've been to confession recently. You know, as far as I know, I'm in the state of grace. So, mm-hmm. so yes, I can have that confidence. And then the Orthodox guy turned to uh, Matthew 25, you know, the sheep and the goats thing. Mm. And you're, he says, remember what Jesus said when um, when he separates the sheep from the goats? The the goats, I guess, basically come to Jesus. Jesus says, you know, when I was when uh, to the faithful, he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was mm-hmm, in prison, mm-hmm. you visited me. And then the ones who were cast off basically say, well, when did we? We never saw you mm-hmm. naked or, or thirsty or hungry. We, we don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, whatever you did to the least of these. Mm-hmm. But he said there's this fundamental problem that there's people who are being condemned for committing a sin that they didn't know they were committing. Hmm. And so he said, is it possible that there's things that we're doing that we're not fully aware of? And I know we ha- we, we talk about, um, you know, full, full um, what was the term? Full. Full knowledge, full, full knowledge, full consent to sin, you know, and yeah. all these things. But he said, you can't ignore the fact that here in the Bible, there's people that don't real. maybe they should have, mm-hmm. but they just don't realize mm-hmm. it. And so he said, what do you think would have, what do you, so the response of these people who are being cast off was basically, hey, we had no idea. It's mm-hmm. not our fault. Mm-hmm. We didn't know you were there. Mm-hmm. And he said, what if they had actually, instead of saying, we didn't know that, how are we supposed to know that was you? Instead of that, they said, geez. We didn't know. We are sorry. We mm. throw yourself at your mercy. Yeah. I have no doubt that Jesus would have mm. given the mercy. The problem wow. isn't that there's this irreparable thing that they've done this sin and now they're now they're host for it. Yeah. It's that there was no willingness. There was no I'm I'm, I'm tying it to the idea of gratitude just because somehow it's connecting in my head. Yeah. But there's no concept that look, just throw yourself at God's mercy. Right. I'm not aware of all the things that I do, and that's why we say in confession for the things that I've done and things that right. I, I don't know. We say something. Yeah, that I cannot remember. That I cannot remember, yeah. right? Yeah. But that's that. That's real. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fully convinced in my studies of Genesis that when God came looking for Adam and Eve, had Adam and Eve simply said, we were wrong, we're sorry, mm-hmm. I think the story would have been very different. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what it would have, been, would have wow. looked like. But I do know that if you read it in Hebrew, when God goes looking for them after original sin— it's the it's the Yahweh Elohim. It's it's the God of mercy and compassion is the mm. translation of his name okay. who is looking for them, not with anger and judgment in his heart, but he's looking like a father looks for his lost child. Yeah. That's the kind of looking yeah. he's doing. And then Adam and Eve hide and they deny it and then they pass the blame. <laughs> just yeah. imagine what if they'd have just said, yeah. oh, we're sorry. Right. <laughs> Forgive us. Yeah. I wonder I wonder what the story would look like. Mm-hmm. Because I think we read those things as this arbitrary, mean God who just right. wants to punish. Yeah, but I don't and just trying it. to like, uh, uh, yeah, exactly, point the finger yeah. at all the things that we didn't know we were supposed to do. Right. And it's like, right. yeah, what now? See, right. I told you, you're a horrible human being, right. and I can't believe I created you in the first place. Right. It's like that's how we read that's, it, though. That's not. <laughs> that doesn't. That's not from Jesus. That's not from the Lord. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, and that kind of goes back to just the experience of desiring to be judged by God because there are things in my heart that I don't even know about yeah, that his right. light might shine and that he might expose those wounds of sin that I've, you know, I've allowed people to be lost in the landscape yeah. that I've never loved. Yeah. And I didn't even notice that they were there. And I didn't even see them. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, and Lord, help me see those things so I can really repent of those, allow mm-hmm. you to, to heal my heart. And I can really then be, be fully myself by growing in love. And I can see those people that I, that, uh, that I desire to love with your heart. Yes, that's yeah. it. Which, gosh, actually just having said that, I think is actually a really good segue into the gospel reading. Because mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just rereading it. Let me just read it really quick. Jesus okay. said to the crowds, Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will not reject anyone who comes to me. Again, that, that idea, I will not reject you. If you come to me honestly and with a sincere heart, I'm not going to reject that. Because I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose anything of what he gave me. Mm-hmm. This is Jesus' mission. It's not to lose. It's not to come and accuse and point fingers. It's mm-hmm. to regather. It's quite mm-hmm. the opposite of that. It's yeah. to seek and save the lost, right? He, wants, he doesn't want to lose anything. He doesn't want to come and point out all of our flaws. He wants to repair our flaws, uh, but that I should raise it on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who sees the son and believes in him has eternal life, may have eternal life. And I will raise him on the last day. Mm-hmm. Do you know what this whole thing comes in the context of? Oh, absolutely. John chapter six. Yeah. So yeah, it's the bread of life discourse. And he just finished saying what you have to do is literally gnaw on my body. Right? Yeah. Well, actually I think that's where he ends up going. Um, oh, has I he not said that, it? No, he hasn't said it yet. Oh. But he's actually, you know, talking about. I think. Um, oh, you're right. Um, you know, really calling them to have faith, because obviously, what he's about to say is going to take a great deal of faith, a great deal of trust in him. Oh wow! You know, I didn't. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't fully read it in context, but that kind of changes everything because, you know, if you, the bread of life discourse, right? This is this. So Jesus, to put it in context, basically has just performed this profound miracle where he multiplied loaves and fishes mm-hmm. on the Sea of Tiberia, the Sea of Galilee. Which is uh, a beautiful reflection on actually Psalm 23. They, did you, oh, with, like, makes the, the me way lie that, down. But, but, yeah, because, you know, it's like John is really clear about wow. having them all sit down in grass, and even Mark is even more clear and explicit. You're in, right. In uh, chapter 6, where he talks wow. about um, that Jesus... And was moved to compassion because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Wow. And so he has them lay down in green grass, like verdant <laughs> wow. pastures. And so that that obviously happens the day before this wow. bread of life discourse. Right, right. But still, this is the shadow that we're in. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he does this. He goes across the sea. Tiberius, it says the this Lake of Tiberius, it's the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. It has three different names. And he comes across and... Basically, the story, it's, it's kind of interesting. So these people basically chase him to the other side. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, do more cool stuff. Right? Right, you multiply right. all the stuff. We want more of that. Yeah. And, you know, basically Jesus says, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not the magician. I'm not just going to do all these things. But he, um, they're like, well, we want to see cool stuff. You know, our fathers saw the manna in the wilderness, right? Moses gave them the bread from heaven. What are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> truly you say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread. He didn't do anything for the bread of life. Um, oh, where does he say it? Yeah, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life um, life to the world. And they said, well, we want this bread always. But there's this line. Where is it? Um, yeah, this is great. Listen to this. So they're, they're looking for signs. They want to see stuff. Uh, Jesus says, he's he's ticked off. This is in verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, but not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves, because mm-hmm. you were really hungry and I gave you <laughs> gave you a bunch of food. Yeah. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, not just mm-hmm. physical bread, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him is God the Father set his seal. And so they said, 
great, we want it. What do we have to do? Let's see, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Great, that's fine. We want more bread. What do we have to do to get it? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one who he sent. It's from that point that he's going to go on to say something that's literally unbelievable. Right. And I think that's the whole context. He says, Absolutely. okay, yeah. you really want it? Believe me. Yeah. I'm warning you because he's going to go on. You know, it's a, it's funny. When I first kind of came back to my Catholic faith, mm-hmm. I could not understand for the life of me when I would go talk to my Protestant friends, how do you not see this? I, right. I'd be, I know I'd go to my Protestant pastors and be like, but look, it's so clear right here. <laughs> and I totally ignore the fact that what Jesus says is literally not believable. It's, yeah. ri- it's a ridiculous statement. Mm-hmm. And most of the people probably who are there actually leave him, which is not an illogical thing to do. And what I realize is that I have to, you know, instead of looking at this and, and condescending and thinking, how can people be so blind? It's rather the opposite to say, wow, I somehow have been given the grace to believe something that doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. There's there's no logic that can get you to the conclusion, oh, yeah, that thing up on the altar, that piece of bread, that's the God who created me and holds me in existence. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, There's no logic that gets you there. Yeah. And that's even the, the brilliance of the apostles. Mm-hmm. They don't get it either. Mm-hmm. But they basically said, well, where else are we going to go? <laughs> oh, right. And well, I mean, I think that's the fundamental position that, that all those disciples are in is like, yeah. Uh, the the only way it's going to be logical, the only way it's going to be reasonable is realizing that Jesus is the one whom I can trust. If right. I trust him, right. yeah, which is to believe right. in the one whom he sent, right. if I can trust him and what he says, um, then I can I can actually really believe that, that what he says is true. Right. And what kind of a person can you trust? Well, you trust the kind of person who's like a shepherd, who you know will protect you, yeah. who you know will guide you and steer you correctly. That's mm-hmm. the only kind of person that one can trust. Mm-hmm. Is if you So uh, this only makes sense if the good shepherd psalm is about Jesus. If, yeah. if those promises given way back in the Old Testament are actually true. That's the only way that one can actually have this. Because mm-hmm. if you know that, and if you begin to apply that to Jesus, then you know that, yeah, well, things, storms are going to come and suffering is going to come, but mm. it's okay because I have a shepherd who's actually going to fight for me yeah, and is going to guide me correctly. yeah. So even if I don't get it, I'm still going to follow him because mm-hmm. I can trust him. Right. And that's precisely what most people can't mm-hmm. do. Yeah. So, I mean, to the credit of the apostles, I mean, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be, you know, when I came back to the church, I wanted to be, I wanted to get it. I wanted to understand. I wanted mm-hmm. logic. And I had a, a priest friend, Monsignor Swetland, you know, who once said, you can, you know, you can study all of the things that the church teaches and you can come to the same conclusion as everything. You know, you can agree with the church on every single teaching and that doesn't make you a Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's just coincidence. Yeah. You happen to come to the same conclusions. Yeah. What makes you a Catholic is trusting that the church is what God established to guide us. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't understand yeah. what she's saying. Yeah. That's just coincidental to come to the same conclusions. Can you actually not fully understand and move forward in faith anyway? Mm-hmm. And that's what the apostles are able to do, yeah. which is really beautiful. Yeah. Oh wow! You know, here's uh, really interesting. Since you brought up the Matthew 25 in the in the final judgment, yeah. Um, are we going way over on time? We're just about right. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe I'll just skip it. No, no. Yeah, no. So it, it, I was just thinking, like, you know, how is it that that God is going to divide us? Is it going to be kind of like you over here, you right. over there, you know, and then, right. you know, the, the sheep from the goats and all that. And I was just reflecting on this, um, that Jesus being the good shepherd, if he really is a good shepherd, like in John 10, um, and he, um, he calls each of his, 
his sheep by name mm-hmm. and they know his voice and they follow him, yeah. that I, I've wondered if that was going to be the way that he actually separates the sheep from the goats. Oh, wow. Is it, is it the, the sheep are the ones who actually who recognize, recognize his voice and he calls come. them by name and they wow. actually answer, where the, whereas the other ones, they, they hear his voice, but they don't recognize him and they actually don't trust him. And so they're not going to respond to him and actually wow. are, are going to be in the defensive posture. And even like, you know, worst case scenario, crying out stranger danger and running away, you know? Uh, wow. And that he, changes everything. Yeah. And just kind of like the just thinking like that it seems like that makes more sense to me that that's going to be the way he's going to be separating the sheep from the goats is simply by saying come and he's probably going to call each of us by name by name uh all of us it's just whether or not we're going to respond to that and that's consistent and understand it and to trust in that invitation wow that's a beautiful image and i think that's the perfect image to end on yeah so, Father Brady, thanks for joining me hey, today. It's, it's um, been great. It's an honor to have you. This was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. I hope you get more, perhaps, out of the Sunday readings this week. Um, reflect on them. We'll be back next week. Father Peter will be back. We'll definitely have Father Brady back again. Oh, that'd um, be great. We'll be back next week. Uh, keep us in your prayers. Send us an email. Um, you can tell us how much you love us or how much you hate us. Find us on <laughs> Facebook. Um, and we will be back next week. See you, everybody. Awesome. God bless you guys. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.